It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's great to be with you. Join us during the week. Fox Business Television. Fox Business Television. Name of the show is Kudlow. Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. Can't see us at 4. Text your favorite nine-year-old, and she'll show you how to DVR the show. And here on radio, you can... Live stream us on the internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com, playing all across the country, throughout the world, throughout the solar system, including the Milky Way. We're going to do some stock market work for the next half hour, kind of a lackluster week. Dow is up 127, NASDAQ uh, up 449, the S&P was stronger, up 87, Year-to-date, basically flat, first two weeks of the year. Interest rates declined in the Treasury market. Mr. Copper, Dr. Copper, fell again. And um, not much going on in energy, despite the Houthi attacks. In fact, for the week, uh, crude oil, West Texas, and Brent fell slightly. So let's bring in our guests and get their take. Jeff Kilberg, CEO of KKM Financial. Jim LeCamp, Senior VP Investments at Morgan Stanley. Gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, Jim Kilberg, we were talking earlier uh, with John Carney of Breitbart. I mean, the CPI inflation came in stronger than thought, than expected by Wall Street. And you're up 3.4% for all items, 3.9% core, excluding food and energy. Meanwhile, services CPI, 5%, and excluding energy, 5.3%. The Fed's target is 2 I don't see how the Fed is going to start slashing its Fed funds target rate uh, with these kinds of inflation numbers. Inflation is not conquered. What do you think? You're not wrong, Larry, and it's great to hear you. Happy New Year. But when I look at the CPI data, I think that is one number. I think the Fed has looked at the last four or five data points, the last four or five months, and the trajectory for inflation continues to cool. So I do believe they're going to be on track. I'm not as uh, you know, optimistic about 150 basis points of a cut, but 75 basis points to 100 basis points in 2024 only takes it down to Four and a half percent. So I think that is truly plausible. But they're going to be looking at earnings season. Obviously, you know, profits are the mother's milk of stocks. So we're really going to understand: Did companies actually make money in Q4? So I think we have the inflationary going the right way. They're going to want to see how the strength of the economy is, and that's going to be measured right now, obviously in stocks uh, with Q4. But I don't see why, uh, Jim LeCamp. I don't see why the Fed should cut at all. In other words, because um, actually. Even looking at the year-to-year change, uh, that has stopped falling the last several reports. And, again, the core rate is, you know, everything's above their target. Services inflation, way above their target. Uh, Wage inflation, way above the Fed's target. And you've got a 3.7% unemployment rate, which is, I mean, the – the participation rates may be low, but the actual unemployment rate is very low. I don't see what the case is at all for Fed easing. 
If we look back to uh, Jimmy Carter running for re-election, uh, what we had was a Fed that paused, and it it it, it spurred about the reacceleration of inflation. So there is a real risk that if the Fed pauses or cuts too quickly and is too proactive to do that, that we could have an even bigger problem on our hand than we had before. And let's not forget that there is a war going on over there. They've already hit supply lines. It's going to hit the uh, energy markets probably, not necessarily, but probably. So, yeah, I look at the um, the Fed funds futures, and they suggest a 76% probability of a cut in March. And I tend to agree with you, Larry, that I don't I think they have conquered inflation. On the other hand, they're probably looking at mortgage rates. And if you look at mortgage rates and you tie them together with the uh, cost of homeless ownership today, uh, it's really tough. Uh, the housing market's uh, been uh, crippled to a degree. It's getting a little bit better, uh, but it's still really tough. And you have a lot of private equity deals that aren't getting done because interest rates are higher than when they um, originally uh, started putting those deals together. Uh, there is stress in the system. There is also uh, oncoming stress in the commercial real estate market that hasn't been um, bandied about as much as, as uh, considering how big of a problem that's going to be. So I think they're looking at those things, too, and they're hoping to avoid some sort of a commercial real estate slash um, uh, funding crisis here in the in the U.S. Uh, by cutting rates a little well, bit. So I think that's on their mind, too. They ought to wait. I mean, if there's going to be a shock, a negative shock, okay, but it hasn't happened yet. Correct. You, you know, gentlemen, take a look. There was a very good story in, it was either Friday's Wall Street or Thursday's Wall Street Journal. Um. The Fed's bank rescue facility is now up $140 billion. That's how much they... Drop in the bucket. Yeah. Drop in the bucket, Larry. $140 billion is not a drop in the bucket. That's a lot of money. Uh, Come on. And people are... People are arbitraging... Well, hang on. Let me make my point. People are arbitraging. Uh, They're buying the Fed's uh, emergency bank reserve fund which is below 5%, and then they're depositing them as bank reserves at the Fed, and they're getting 55 to 5.5%. So it's a profitable arbitrage for banks. But the point is $140 billion is $140 billion. Um, that's since last March. I mean, they've – here's my point. They're not as tight as you think they are, okay? They're not as tight from a liquidity standpoint. They're not as tight as you think they are. That's all I'm saying. Well, I- well, I agree with that, but the one point I wanted to bring up is that the overarching theme and why the market continues, in my opinion, to move higher and is going to move higher is because of their balance sheet. They have no plans of really reducing their balance sheet. That is the ultimate shock absorber for any type of event. And I know the war, you know, Jim brings up a great point. There's a lot of wild cards out there. But I look at where the, the, the ten year note is and I go back to my days when I started my career at the Chicago Board Trade Trading Treasury Futures. The bond market provides a leadership. And right now, since we've seen the Fed flinch, they made their pivot, 
we saw the 10-year note go from 5.1% down to 3.75%. The bond market is telling you that there are cuts coming right, wrong, or indifferent. Those market cuts are coming from the Fed, and that's where I think the market is looking where the puck's going. We can count on the fact that the Fed always is going to be behind the curve. They were notoriously wrong. Let's go back to 2021 when they said inflation was just going to be transitory and it popped above 9% in the CPI. So. Mm -hmm. Having faith in the Fed has just been a, a losing proposition. I think a better case for stocks is uh, profits. Profits have held up very well. Um, and stuff coming in, bank earnings look pretty good. So I, I think that's a point. I, I, all I'm saying is uh, if you think the Fed's going to cut three times or four times or five times, think again. That's what I'm saying. It's a red flag. By the way, the tenures uh, 394 closed on Friday. Um, most of the week it was above 4%. I mean, I think the bond market is having second thoughts. About well, the bond the market's got a lot more to deal with in terms of supply coming. There, what is there, $9 trillion that we have to issue this year? I think that's a real question for where the rate picture is going, is can we sell as many treasuries as we need to? Uh, China's not buying uh, not buying what they were. The banks are already loaded up in them, and, and, and some painfully so. And so I, I think that is going to be an issue for the bond market. When it comes to corporate profits, Larry, I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is the key for investors. Stick with companies that have earnings. Right. And if you can stick with companies that have quality earnings through, through uh, any kind of cycle, uh, money is gravitating towards those companies. And you look at the Magnificent Seven for last year, they had earnings. That's what they, their peg rates, their PE uh, minus their growth rates. If you look at their peg rates, they're 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 actually still reasonable compared to the rest of the market, and it's because those companies had earnings. And I think investors are going to be fine if they stick with uh, the, the market. Could still be narrow, but if you stick with those quality earnings companies, I think uh, the market will reward that. Well, and I I do think um, you're right. The Magnificent Seven. I mean, I think the revolution in uh, fast computing and AI and so forth will enhance productivity, which in turn will enhance profits. Uh, it will also enhance wages. I mean, I, I agree with that argument. That's the Ed Yardeni argument or the Kathy Woods argument. I think uh, that's a good argument. I'm not so sure about the goods side of the calculation. Let me look at this. Industrials were up six tenths. Materials down 1%, energy down 2.5%. What's your call on uh, energy, Jeff Kilberg? I think energy, you have to be really selective. And we talk about, you know, and Jim brings up a great point, owning essential names. You know I'm the portfolio manager, Larry, of the Essential 40. And we really focus on owning big names. So Chevron, ExxonMobil, names we want to own. But I think energy has the ability to bounce back, but it has been counterintuitive. And we don't see demand coming out of China. China ultimately is going to drive the boat, which is correlated to Dr. Copper that you talked about earlier. So until we really see China come back online, which it hasn't come back on nearly, this is going on year four from the COVID shutdown. So that will be the, the, the real driver. But I think energy has the ability. But we look at names, names kind of off the radar inside, outside of the Magnificent Seven. So you talk about Palo Alto. You talk about IBM, who's playing in the cloud. Mm. You talk about Intel. Some of these names that are coming back, and even a new addition to the portfolio this year was Lilly and American Waterworks. Mm. You talk about American, uh, American Waterworks, AWK, it's off the radar. It's only a $25 billion market cap, but we talk about water and the essentiality of water. I think we want to own names because it is a stock picker's market. That's a big play, the water play, isn't it? That's a mm -hmm. really... Uh, 
sort of under-the-radar type play. That's right. I want to take a break, but Jim LeCamp, just give me 30 seconds. Um, Microsoft has now got a bigger market cap than, um, than uh, let's see, Amazon. No, then, um, yeah, bigger cap than Amazon. Did I get well, that right? You, you, uh, you're looking at two companies that are are, are pretty permeated in, into our economy. Or Apple. And Maybe it's bigger ca- market cap than Apple. It's a, it's a, it's a trillion so, bigger than Amazon. You got that right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Amazon's $1.6 trillion, um, uh, Microsoft north of that. Plus, uh, with Microsoft... You you have a better earnings growth looking picture, and you you, you have that tie that's a little stronger to alternative uh, uh, intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence than Amazon. Even though both companies could could claim that they're very tied in, they're very smart, Microsoft. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, yeah. They I are. I dealt with them uh, when I was in the government. I dealt with them on five G, and you know, advanced virtualization and so forth as a way of getting. They're very smart, Microsoft. This is interesting to me that 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 uh, company two point eight nine trillion as your market cap. Wow, trading at thirty seven times earnings, but you've got a pretty strong earnings projection for both this year and next. And I'm not telling people to buy it or not buy it. I, I'm saying there are reasons why investors have flocked to that. All right, kids, let's uh, take a break and uh, come back and I've got some interesting things for you. Jeff Kilberg of uh, KKM Financial, Jim LaCamp of Morgan Stanley. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back talking stocks. This is the Larry Kudlow show. Now back to the Larry Kudlow show. Welcome back folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking stocks. With Jeff Kilberg, CEO of the KKM Financial, and Jim LeCamp, Senior Vice President for Investments, Morgan Stanley. Gentlemen, we've got four minutes to hash over the new Bitcoin ETF. You knew it was coming. Bitcoin, which is up 116.5% over the last 52 weeks, although it did drop a point this past week, 42905 Point ninety-five cents. Jeff Kilberg, are you investing in this new ETF? You know, Larry, it's an old adage from the floor. Buy <laughs> the rumor, sell the fact. <laughs> and if you look at the 70% move higher in this highly anticipated ETF, and I'm a believer in blockchain and believer in Bitcoin longer term, but I actually have a trade on right now. I'm shorting Coinbase, which is highly correlated. Mm-hmm. It's the largest platform. So I'm shorting Coinbase right now through options. I own a put spread, but I think it's overdone. I think there's a pullback. I think you see Bitcoin go lower. Why, Larry? I don't see the institutional adoption. I understand all the hodl. I understand all the hype, but I don't see the institutional adoption yet. Yes, this ETF is now going to provide advisors, smart advisors like Jim, to potentially give their clients some access to this cryptocurrency, but I just don't think it's going to be linear. It's not going to be parabolic like all the hype out there. Jim LeCamp, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said about you. Did you hear that? <laughs> don't let that go. It's a short list. I, I mean, mean, don't I, let I, that I, go, I, man. I've known you about 30 years. That's a lovely thing. <laughs> to say but the fact is uh will you recommend the etf to your clients if you look at the history of bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and we'll narrow it down to bitcoin and ethereum because those are the ones that seem to have the most gravitas 
Uh, buying them on 50% corrections is the way to go, not buying them uh, near all-time highs. So I agree with Jeff. I, I don't think uh, this is the right place to do it. And if you look at these Bitcoin ETFs, I think uh, Merrill Lynch and Vanguard have said, ah, we don't know if we want our investors in this or not. There, there is still a lot of skepticism uh, from uh, the wirehouse community mm. on whether these ETFs are, are really going to be something they can put their weight behind. So I think it's going to be more like these meme stocks. And by the way, if you look at uh, some of those meme stocks, they're back near all-time lows. Uh, so I think investors have That's to right. be really careful about chasing those things. I do also agree that the outlook for fintech and blockchain is very, very good. And so we have some blockchain investments. I'm, I'm just not uh, speculating right now at these prices in either the Coinbase-type stocks or the cryptocurrencies Coin after the big move. Coinbase – is is solid, right? I mean, publicly traded, SEC reporting, and so forth. So, I mean, whatever you think the outlook is, short term, long term, I mean, it's a real company, right? It's volatile. It's a real company, but it's volatile. It was up three hundred and ninety one percent in twenty twenty three after being down eighty five percent in twenty twenty two. So, if you have the stomach for it, yeah, it's real. It's publicly traded, Larry. But you're talking about a company that's a thirty one billion dollar market cap, and it moves. Is the uh, ETF it was trading at over four hundred, and then a couple of years later, it's trading in the twenties. So that's <laughs> the kind of volatility you're talking about. Well, I wouldn't put the family jewels in it. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, the ETF was for Bitcoin alone. It's not not Ethereum or any of the others. Is that correct? Uh, there's there's uh, more than one ETF there. Uh, my understanding is that the Grayscale offering, which is the one that's uh, most prominent out there right now, is based on Bitcoin. But mm -hmm. I, I'm not an it's expert. All there. Yeah, it's all Bitcoin right now, and you're seeing the biggest guys actually came in. BlackRock just went over ten trillion dollars. They're kind of seeing the most asset flows. But you did see five billion dollars going to these ETFs on day one, Larry. So it's real. It's tangible. Well, that was my bid. No, that was gold. that five billion was my bid. But I decided to pull it at the last moment. At Good the last job. moment, I, I, I uh, decayed the trade. Just You, know. you don't want to lose your invitation to Davos because of uh, Bitcoin investing. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, as old as I am, I still own the S&P index. I mean, it's old <laughs> as I am. Jeff Kilberg, wonderful. Jim LeCamp, wonderful gentleman. Happy New Year to both of you. We'll see you back soon. Folks, we're going to take a break and then other side. Some money politics with Liz Peake and Steve Moore. I'm Cudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Cudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Cudlow. We're going to do some money in politics. Iowa Monday, New Hampshire a week later, the following Tuesday. Right here, live and in color, Liz Peak, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Steve Moore, FreedomWorks, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and on most of these same radio stations, WABC radio host for more money. More money. Okay. Liz Peak, Hertz, you're a keen financial, keen financial student. Hertz Rental sold all 25,000 of its electric vehicles cost them 250 million loss. They were Joe Biden's favorite company until they just sold all their EVs. 
And I just want to add to that, it's very cold in Iowa. Where's John Kerry now that we need him? Okay. (laughs) Where is he? Because this isn't this is not this is not global warming, Liz. This is global freezing in Iowa. I tell you, yeah, Larry, uh, Friday, <laughs> competing headlines, 2023, hottest year on record, <laughs> global vortex coming. What will you do about it? <laughs> I mean, really, it was wonderful. Uh, look, the Hertz thing is really a great story uh, in the sense that Hertz has no, a number of times uh, made their place their bets on EVs, the most recent time coming out of bankruptcy. And you could even argue that some of their bankruptcy problems had to do with allocating billions of dollars to uh, bad ideas, including EVs, in the past. This isn't their first effort to go that direction. But guess what? Renters don't want them. And I heard a great story from somebody yesterday uh, who was going to a wedding, and some friends of theirs rented a car from Hertz. They were given an EV, not told it was an electric car. They didn't even realize it for the first like couple of hours of driving. And then all hell broke loose. They couldn't find a place to charge it. They got a charger that was slow. They were late to the wedding reset. I mean, it was a complete fiasco. And it really gives you a sense of just how misguided this idea was. I mean, it was totally kind of impractical uh, idealism, if you will, over the practicality of people wanting to rent a reliable car. So, yeah, this is their, it's going to cost them hundreds of millions of dollars to sell their EVs, because guess what? The price of used EVs went down 30% last year. Uh, you know, there's not much market for them because the new ones aren't selling. Who the hell's going to buy a used EV? I mean, honestly, (laughs) not even Steve Moore will buy any. And Steve's not a brilliant financial person the way you are, Liz. But even Steve Moore is going to stay away from a used EV. It's like a, a, a used cup of coffee or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's just crazy because the prices are higher. The maintenance cost is higher. Hertz management said collision costs are higher. I've done some research on this. Uh, The average collision on an EV is $950 more to fix than a gas-powered car. There are all kinds of problems with these things. But it took Hertz to kind of say, hey, you know, line in the sand. This isn't working. You know, Steve, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek. I mean, first of all, Liz is so smart. She's up to speed on this stuff. She didn't know it was coming. I don't think she knew it was coming, but she's great. So that's a big plus. Well, she reads the hotline. She reads the hotline. Yes, she does. Okay. Uh, True, I do. But the other thing I want to say is, you know, where's John Kerry now that we need him? Because it is 30, whatever it is, 30 below in Iowa, 40 below in Montana. It's very cold. It's often very cold in the month of January, for heaven's sake. And sometimes it gets very hot in uh, August, okay? This Biden-esque, John Kerry-esque global warming emergency, um, is a, it's a hoax. The whole thing is a hoax. Over 100 years, let's see. In which case, Bjorn Lomborg's idea of technology innovations and economic growth will take care of it. We'll figure this out. But this whole thing, socialist Green New Deal, I'm just saying... It's a hoax. There is no emergency. There is no existential threat. Well, Larry, I mean, you're so far behind the times because it isn't global warming anymore. It's climate change. Climate change. I know. The reason that they changed the nomenclature to climate change from 
global warming is that any change in any direction, you know, whether it's uh, floods or droughts, whether it's snow or heat, whatever it is, it's all climate change. And that way you can't refute anything they say because <laughs> no matter what happens with the weather, it, I mean, seriously, this isn't science when but no matter what happens, it's due to, quote, climate change. Um, look, the, temp- the temperature of the planet over the last 100 years is warm by, I don't know, but I think best estimates about one degree. Right. By the way, a little warming is a much, much, much better thing for the planet than a little cooling. Mm. <laughs> I mean, people are much more susceptible dying when it's when you have freezing cold weather than when it's hot outside. But the, the, look, the fundamental flaw of the whole climate change thing is, does anybody here, look? The government can't fix the potholes. They can't balance the budget. They can't get the border border, you know, straight. They can't, you know, get get fix the tax system. Uh, they can't do anything. And it's it's you've got to have incredible faith in government to think that these nitwits are going to change the temperature of the planet. <laughs> and so I think that's why, uh, you know, I think there's more and more skepticism. And I, and I'm the thing about the EVs. And you're you're you guys are right. I mean, the, this has been a disastrous. Um, year and a half for the EV market. You know, you've got four of the major 10 EV companies that are basically in bankruptcy right now. It, it's, it, it is, a, I think you use the word fiasco, uh, Liz, and that's mm-hmm. exactly right. And the more I think about it, you, you know why it's such a fiasco? If we had just kept the government out of it, mm-hmm. I think that the electric vehicle market would be in much better shape. I mean, when you when you have the government trying to force feed this stuff, and if you look at states, I, I was just looking at an analysis of where people are buying electric vehicles and where they're not. Well, guess what states they're buying them in, Larry? California. California, New York, New, York. New Jersey. Right, the blue states. So it's become a kind of... And, and so uh, the title of my column this week is Biden cars. Yeah, These are Biden, Biden cars. Biden you know cars. what? Right. <laughs> and uh, nobody wants to, you know, if you're conservative, you know, so it's become so political uh, that that I think that's been a curse for the electric vehicle market. Not not a blessing. Well, my my uh, my piece was, um, yeah, it's going to be cold in Iowa. Drill, baby, drill. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, that that's my conclusion. All right. Because, um, first of all, if it's cold, you need heat and electricity. So that's a good thing. Let's get some from fossil fuels. I don't know how the windmills are going to do if it's 40 degrees below in these places, Iowa, Montana. I don't know. Um, I'm just saying it's a hoax. It costs over a trillion dollars, Liz. And if Joe Biden's reelected, they're going to come at it again. If you can get it through Congress, he'll come at it again. And we shouldn't do that. We should what happened? Republicans used to believe in all of the above. Maybe they still do. But do. all the above doesn't mean all the above trillion dollars. That's the key. <laughs> and they voted for that bill, right? Yeah. They voted for the infrastructure bill. Remember? They did not vote, for though, for the Inflation Reduction Act, right. that, which right. is entirely a climate bill. And that uh, was a, was voted 100 percent Democrats. And Kamala Harris had to... Uh, break the tie on that, if you recall. So this is the Democrat legacy. But it isn't just the EV situation that is running into a brick wall. It's pretty much all of the climate agenda. It's very interesting. I mean, around the world, uh, governments are falling who have embraced 
policies, pro-climate policies that voters simply do not like. Mm. And you can see it in Holland and in England. They've, they've rolled back various restrictions. In Germany, they have done that. Italy. Uh, and, and by the way, we just had a giant natural gas deal done in the United States. Yeah. It was announced Friday. Why is that? Because the industry now has sort of taken heart. They found their big boy voices, and they decided that, yes, we're fossil fuel producers, and guess what? We're going to be using fossil fuels for the foreseeable future. The United States is becoming a big exporter of LNG because the world needs our natural gas, and so we're willing to invest in this. I mean, honestly, the fact that we had companies like Exxon and so forth saying, oh, we're really into green energy. Where's their brain? Well, where's their courage? But the Bidens have tried to regulate. They don't want any new LNG installations. That That rule came out, too. Which and is they insanity. They just passed a methane rule on uh, Friday. Other, the utter insanity. Yep. Utter, total insanity. Uh, you know, Trump up there talking drill baby drill in Iowa. He's very smart. I mean, remember, Iowa's an ethanol state, among yes. other things. <laughs> but are. you need to mix it in with uh, gasoline. Right. Gas, I mean, the, uh, ethanol is one of the great ripoffs of all time. But if it wins in Iowa, what the hell? It's not even economic. I mean, it's not no, it's even terrible. environmentally friendly. It's ridiculous. But she, you you know, know, we're stuck with it. <laughs> the ethanol debates are so wonderful. I'll go back in the White House one morning in a senior staff meeting. We're get, we get to yelling at each other about ethanol. Okay. I'm not, I did not want the ethanol giveaway to Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst, even though I liked them very much. Of course, I lost. I, you always lose. But – uh, Chief Kelly, remember General Kelly was the chief of staff, and he starts telling this story how he went out and bought one of these big uh, lawnmowers, okay? And he put a big one, electric, whatever, gas-powered lawnmower? I don't know. I don't do lawnmowers. And he put ethanol into it, and it destroyed his new machine. <laughs> and so, therefore, he was siding with the anti-ethanol crowd. <laughs> Destroy. It's all about lived experience, Larry. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he did, he, he wasn't really a policy guy, and he never said he was, but he just oh, had this – he, uh, he ruined his lawnmower. All right, we will uh, – let's take a break on that note, uh, lawnmowers. Uh, we have other things to deal with. Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Steve Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. And please, folks, listen after this show, WABC Radio, more money from Steve Moore. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist. And Steve Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. And right after this show on most of these same stations, uh, More Money. WABC Radio host of More Money. Uh, all right, kids. So there I am reading the Wall Street Journal. I guess it was yesterday. Maybe it was Thursday. Big article. And lo and behold, Steve Moore seems to think that if Joe Biden is reelected, taxes are going to go up. <laughs> a peculiar point of view. So here we have Steve Moore in the flesh. And I thought I'd ask, is that true, Steve? If Joe Biden is reelected, are taxes going to go up? 
through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's important because uh, if Biden were reelected and, you know, there's a lot of question about whether he'll even be the nominee. But if he were reelected, then, you know, he's laid out his tax plan. And that was in his budget that, you know, this is this is their ground plan. Mm. And it is catastrophic. I mean, it, it would almost double the capital gains tax. It would raise the highest income tax rate back up to 40 percent. It would tax unrealized capital gains, which I don't think we've ever done in the history of this country before. Uh, you know, so somebody, let's say an Iowa farmer who made a three million dollar gain on their farm valuation would have to pay a tax on it, even if they don't have the money to pay it. Uh, the corporate tax, which, uh, you know, we got down to what, 21 percent, uh, Larry, they want to raise that to 28 percent. And when you when you add all these taxes together, nobody's going to want to invest in this country. The, the, the tax rate on an investment of, say, a million dollars in, let's say you make a million dollars, would be over 50 percent, closing on 60 percent. So this would essentially reverse all of the gains that we've made since the Reagan administration in terms of having a lower tax rate system that, uh, you know, that has really created strong economic growth. I, I think people have to be, you know, wake up, America. This is coming. And, and if Biden wins, he'll have he could even say, look, I have a mandate to do this. Well, I think um, I mean, I think Trump's done a good job getting that out there. Yeah, he has the difference. He's been on message, by the way, uh, Steve, just. We'll let Liz in on a second, but uh, the Bidens are, you know, Janet Yellen is in favor of these foreign taxes, these OECD taxes yes, she uh, is. on she is. American companies and American profits, particularly our technology companies, because Europe doesn't have any technology companies to speak of. Yeah. And, and you'd think, you'd think so, our president would be would be defending American companies, right. piling on them. Uh, and by the way, Larry, I got to ask you a question because I'm getting asked this a lot by reporters. You probably know better than I do. What is Trump's position on the global minimum tax? Oh, listen, I can tell you from his first term, having worked through this with him in some detail, his view is a very simple view. Foreign governments do not have the right to tax American companies. Only America has the right to tax or, you know, lower taxes. It's called sovereignty. It is a sovereignty issue. He saw it with great uh, clarity and Actually, personally, I communicated that to the French finance minister uh, who was cooking all that stuff up. And none of that stuff went anywhere. Mnuchin didn't like any of that stuff either over in the Treasury Department. But now Biden, well, look, uh, Liz, you know, if you listen to Biden's rhetoric, it's still uh, how the Trump tax cuts only helped rich people yeah. and um, and therefore should be repealed. And, you know, Biden is still attacking companies for inflation. I noticed the other day he still went after them, too. I mean, this guy is just a complete dopey dope. Yeah, I mean, it's really pathetic. Uh, He talks about how they upped uh, prices, basically, and they made excessive profits as a result. I mean, I went through in a piece, you know, what the profit margins of all U.S. companies combined look like. Uh, in fact, they went down when inflation hit because they didn't raise yeah. prices right away mm-hmm. to counter the big increases in labor and uh, supply chain costs and energy costs that they were suffering. Uh, and then they did, and they got back basically where they where they had been. There has been no excess profit margin over the time of, of Joe Biden's presidency. But I want to go back to this uh, issue of Biden v. 
uh, versus American corporations. His administration is trying to take down all our biggest, best corporations mm-hmm. uh, through mm-hmm. antitrust charges at yep, Google yep. and Apple and mm-hmm. other yep. companies of that ilk. What is the? Tell me what the point of this is. Tell me why he has allowed this Lena Khan in the FTC to bring, try to bring to heel our biggest and best corporations. I mean, other companies, uh, countries around the world must be looking at this and saying, these are flagship American companies who have literally created trillions of dollars of wealth, hundreds of billions of wealth for most Americans, because most Americans now own stocks and they probably own these stocks. So what, tell me what they've done wrong. I mean, I, I think this is quite an assault uh, on our corporate leadership of a kind we've never seen before. Well, don't get no argument for me. Listen, I'm for the Gilded Age. That's my favorite <laughs> yeah. period in American history, roughly 1865 to 1910. There was no income tax for anything. And these companies that you described, now let's look at this, the technology story. Steve, we were talking about this the other night on the show. It was last night. I don't know. Lose my mind. Um, <laughs> they start out with new tech. You know, I think you were using te- who was it? Which is you that was using the telephone as an example? Maybe the new cell phones. Anyway, cell phones were very expensive when they first started out. Mm-hmm. Those Motorola things, four thousand dollars, whatever it was. Um, you know, now they've come down to, to what a hundred bucks, couple hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. So middle income people and lower income people benefit from technological breakthroughs. But you got to let these companies make a buck, right, in order for them to begin to parse down their costs and their prices and improve the technology. Furthermore, uh, the Trump tax cuts increased real wages. I mean, look, even the Brett Stevens article in the New York Times where he takes off after Trump, he says, but here's why Trump is formidable. Real wages went up after the tax cuts. I mean, it's important stuff. It's got to get out there. Well, that's right. And, you know, the number I think his strongest argument among many, uh, if it does turn out to be Trump v. Biden, is, you know, that the average income for the middle class family in America went up by six thousand dollars in real terms Larry, over over Trump's presidency. Sixty four hundred bucks. Sixty four hundred bucks. Kevin has Kevin has its number. He was right. Yeah. He yeah, was. It was it's the sensitive. But, but, but hold Tyler on. Tyler Goodspeed but under, was right. Under, under Biden, you know what it's that gone, number is? Yeah, it's gone down four grand. Uh, not four. It's about three. Because, we, you know, they've we had some increases oh. this past year, but All about right. 3,000. So that's a $9,000 swing. That's right. No, no, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, uh, I don't know what else to say. Liz Peake, you got to read this article, both of you. Uh, the, 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 the Brett Stevens article? Yes. I just did. I thought it was excellent. I excellent. mean, he, he's putting excellent. it out there as here's the case to make uh, for for Donald Trump, who I will try to defeat. Right. But I tell you yeah, what, he, if you take out that one. I, I worked with him at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And he hates Trump. I know, but he he's hates Trump. But he's but basically I'll tell you what. He, he really summarizes why he got elected in 2016 and why he uh-huh. could get elected again. That's right. Uh, and it's, right. it's obviously the stuff we all talk about, better yeah. economy, frankly, better international relations, all this 
bloviating yeah. about how he destroyed NATO, et cetera. Not oh, true. Excuse me, not true. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I got to jump. You both are wonderful. <laughs> uh, everybody listen to Steve Moore's radio show, following this show, have most of these same stations, and always listen to whatever Liz Peake happens to say. <laughs> I'm Cudlow. We'll be back next weekend, folks.